One day during the American Revolutionary War, George Washington rode up to a group of soldiers trying to raise a beam to a high position. The corporal was overseeing the work and kept shouting words of encouragement. They couldn't manage to do it. After watching their lack of success, Washington asked the corporal why he didn't join in and help. The corporal quickly responded, Do you realize that I am the corporal? Washington very politely responded, I beg your pardon, Mr. Corporal. I did. Washington dismounted his horse and went to work with the soldiers until the beam was put into place. Wiping the perspiration from his face, he said, If you should need help again, call on Washington, your commander-in-chief, and I will come. I love stories like this, history where we look back and we see leaders lead. And we can be quick to hear a story like this and go, wow, what, what a jerk, this corporal. He should have gotten off his high horse and gone down to help these men. But yet we find ourselves in the same position many times up upon our high horse where we proclaim that we're followers of Christ, that we love Jesus, and that we are the church, and that you too should follow Jesus, but yet we don't get off the horse to help people in need. And that's what we're looking at today. Last week in Psalm chapter 8, we said it's necessary for us to praise God with our mouths. So for those who say, I'm just a silent witness, I'm just going to lead by my actions, I'm not going to use words. No, you, you must use words. The gospel must go forth in order for man to hear and believe, to repent and to follow. And so we must speak the word of God. We must bear testimony. But we also must have actions of praise. When we praise God, we must do so with our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So that's what we're going to look at today. Our, our actions are our actions giving praise to God. Yes, we speak his truth, but we also live out the truth that has set us free. We have a commander-in-chief. His name is Christ Jesus. And in our greatest need, he came down from his throne to help us. See, Washington dismounted from his horse, and that was loyalty to the soldiers. That was grace extended to them. But what greater loyalty that Jesus had to the Father and grace shed upon us when he dismounted from his throne to come down and help in our time of need. And so we are to be disciples on display because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. It must be seen in our lives. It's not enough for us just to say that we are a Christian, that we follow Christ, but we must bear the testimony and we must live it out each day. People must see the difference in your life. And so I ask you this question right off the bat. How is your witness? How is your testimony? Have you been serving well? Have you? Maybe this past week or in the last month, you've completely blown it. I mean, just made a mockery of God's name. 
I don't know, it could be that your anger raised its ugly head in a moment of panic. All of a sudden, you lashed out at someone. And you felt terrible after it was over. And now you're reminded that I'm a Christian. I am not supposed to act this way. What has gotten into me? I completely blew that opportunity. Or maybe it's jealousy that's ruined another great opportunity. Just something that you desired above all else for your own glory. Maybe you got caught in a lie because you were afraid to tell the truth. You considered that lie worth it to buy you a little bit more time, save face. Maybe it's that gossiping tongue that you just can't seem to control. We have things that we struggle with, things that we wrestle with that can be a terrible witness to those around us. And then we go to speak the name of Jesus and people look at us and go, but I've seen the way you act. I want to encourage you with something that you are going to blunder. You are going to fall flat at times. Do not stop being a witness. Get back up and proclaim of God's grace upon your life. And that although you do fall, that you can rise back up because of what Christ Jesus has done for you. But it is important that our actions match up to our words. And we have the privilege of bearing the name of Christ Jesus. You hear that? It is a privilege to bear the name of Christ. It is a privilege to be here in this room today singing of Christ in an open, public place. And you say, well, it's kind of private, isn't it? No, anybody can come through these doors. If you were to Google this today and look at before and after Syria in 2011 before the Civil War, and if you were to just look at what that place was and what it is now, it is rubble and children of great need and persecuted Christians seeking refuge. And looking at that last night as I was looking through these images, my heart was broken. But yet, what I was amazed by was the perseverance of the saints. In the midst of rubble, that they continue to worship and obey Christ even unto death. And yet here we are today, and it's our privilege to worship in our peace, in our comfort, in our safety. But as we worship, we are to go from this place and model a transformed life. A transformed life. It doesn't look like who we used to be, but who we are becoming. So understand that many times our actions speak before we ever open our mouths to proclaim the gospel. So don't just use your words, but also use your actions. And so today, as we look at praising him, not only in word, but also in our actions, we're going to look at three points that flow out of uh, verses 3 through 9. As Christ followers, our actions should reflect, as a mirror, God's sovereign design for the world, God's special design for man, and God's specific design for man and creation. These are our key points, because we are a mirror to reflect God. But yet due to sin, due to the rebellion, we are broken pieces, shattered pieces, being put back together through the grace of God. This is what R.C. Sproul says 
as we are mirrors. He says, in creation, God is not obliged to give us the gift of life. He is not in debt to us. The gift of life comes by his grace and stands under his divine authority. The task is given to mankind in creation to bear witness to the holiness of God, to be his image bearer. We are made to mirror and reflect the holiness of God. You, Christian, you follower of Christ, you are a mirror to reflect his image. How is that going for you today? Let's look at these points and then we'll look at that question once again at the end. Number one, God's sovereign design for the world. Verse three, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Notice this, that David has eyes to see the supremacy of God's design for the world. Yes, he has physical eyes, but spiritually he can see that this is God who has put the heavens in their place, the moon and the stars. God has done this work. See, many see God's craftsmanship and give credit elsewhere. There are many people today that you pass by on your way here. Many as you were driving out of your subdivision or your neighborhood or down your long road. And you see people already out in the yard today and they're doing yard work because they're going to make the most of their morning. Or maybe some who are sleeping in because they had a great Saturday and they're going to use today as just a time to, to rest, but no reflection upon God. You have people who are loading up and they're on the lake. I mean, it's a beautiful day right now. You just want to look out the windows to see, okay, it's beautiful. And they're out on the lake and they're Yeah, I know it's hard to really see out those windows, sorry, but you get the point. They're having a great day of fun on the lake. And this is every Sunday for them, every Sunday. They don't think anything else about it. And just imagine them when they look up to the stars and to the heavens, do they go, wow, God, you made this. When they look at what God has created on this earth, do they pause And go, wow, God, you made this. In the mornings when they rise and they see the sun rising, they go, wow, God, once again, really, you're amazing. And in the evening, to see the moon, once again, God, you are amazing. And the answer to that is no. Many people suppress the truth. And understand, it is true that God created the world. But yet we have been so mixed in a culture that says, ah, maybe God did, maybe he didn't, but does it really matter as long as we just believe something? No, it matters. It is the truth that God created the world. And David has eyes to see. Do you have eyes to see today that God created the world? That he created the stars and the moon and the sun. All that is above us and around us. Or are you suppressing the truth? There are many who suppress the truth. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 20. Very familiar passage. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So do you hear that? It is the unrighteousness of man that suppresses the truth. It is the sin of man that suppresses the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Case in point, Adam and Eve, when they were created, they weren't looking to someone else and saying, it wasn't God who created this world, someone else created this world. No, they clearly knew that God created a world as it was from the very beginning. But then once they rebelled and then sin came upon them and to everyone who came after them, which is all of us, it is this rebellion, it is this unrighteousness that suppresses the truth, the simple fact that God created the world. But David sees this. He is not like the unbeliever, the Gentiles that we see in Romans chapter 1, the spiritually blind who did not give credit to God for the physical things that he set in place. He's not like the unbeliever who suppresses the truth, who says, just get it away from me. I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to think about it. The believer sees with eyes wide open. Everything created is an opportunity to behold our God, as we just sang. And so today, do you have eyes wide open? Do you see that God is the creator? Because if you reject that God is creator, all this crumbles. But this is what his word bears testimony of, that he is the creator. And David's saying, as I see the works, but then he mentions the fingers of God. Now, I'm just going to tell you, God doesn't have fingers, literally, okay? Um, this is figurative language for us as we're reading, as we're hearing this instruction, that we kind of get an idea of how it was when God created the world. And David says, hey, the work of your fingers, But all God had to do was just use his words, and that's what he did. He spoke the world into existence. This isn't a contradiction here. This is for us to kind of get an imagery here that if God had to use any part of his physical nature, which he does not have, he could just use his fingers and not his big bulging biceps as if he were to say, the earth is that way, right? I mean, he doesn't need all of his might to create the world not needed. He could just use his fingers. You see, we look at this world and we go, wow, amazing. And and we're just getting further and further out to see what all God's created. And God's saying, yeah, fingers. (laughs) That's all it took. An all-powerful God. Little effort required in creating this world. And when God rested from his work, he didn't rest because he was exhausted. No, he rested and he was exalted. He was lifted on high and it was good, his creation. And he says, your fingers, which you have set in place, meaning that this is all glory to God. None of us set the world in its place, did we? No. Mm -mm. Where were you when God created the world? We weren't around. There was God. As we have the ability to go further and further out, we see so much more than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David ever saw. I mean, they didn't know that in our galaxy alone, there's 200 to 400 billion stars that are 100 light years away. They didn't know that. They don't give any record of it. And yet, they were amazed. And yet, as time goes on and technology increases, what do we find that man becomes less amazed by God and more impressed with man. 
And we have been given the privilege to see so much more than these men ever saw. Are you amazed by God? Or are you like the simple man who still wants more evidence? (laughs) What else does God need to show you? He's given it all. He's given his son. No one has love like this except for God. But the redeemed man responds differently when he beholds the creation of God. In verse 4, he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? What a great question. What is man? What is man? This is the proper response to God's craftsmanship. It puts us in our place. It makes us feel smaller. There's a humility that we gain when we see a, a great God who has made all that is around us. A question that we would say, why would you ever use me? Why would you even ever care for me? This is the response of those who are in the righteousness of Christ. Whereas those who are in their sinfulness, they say, God, you should care for me. You owe me. I don't even know who you are, but you owe me much more than what I have right now. But no, through David here, we see his response. When he beholds God's creation, he feels small. In fact, this is how our sanctification works. As we continue to grow in Christ, God grows bigger in our lives. And we dwindle down in size. We become smaller and smaller and smaller. That's why when you talk to a weathered servant, one who has gone through the years, 40, 50 years, of reading the Bible and studying God's Word, and you say, oh, you must know so much. There's so much you must know. And he says, no, there's so much more I have to learn. Because as you continue to grow in Christ, God gets bigger and you get smaller. And you realize, oh, there's so much more that we can learn and grow in Him. But here is a negative response to this passage and what we deal with as well. What is man that you are mindful of Him? Or the Son of Man that you care for Him? Is that we doubt our salvation. We truly ask the question, there's no way that God would save me. I have to do something else. Like, you don't know what all I've done in my past. I mean, it's gross. It's wicked. It's wretched. I mean, I I have to say this prayer again. Or tell me something that I can do so that I can know that I'm saved. Right now, you may be struggling with your salvation because you feel like it's just too easy. Because you know how wretched you are. But Christ has done the work. And so today, if you're struggling with your salvation, if you're sitting there and going, I want to know that I'm saved, trust God's word. Trust God's word and his promises. And you say, no, you've got to give me something else. I've got to do something more. See, the trouble in that is that you think that you can actually do something to affirm your salvation, and you can't. You're the same as the person who says, I deserve salvation. Everybody deserves salvation. God should save us all because we're good people. We're not really that bad. See, it's the same. You're, you're focusing on works. Works. And so if you're struggling with the work that you have done, will you now look at the work that Christ has done? 
and be affirmed that you too can follow Christ. Him dying on the cross, shedding his blood. Only he could do that. Only he could do that. Trust that this is true. Follow him. Number two, God's special design for man. So God had a sovereign design over this world, and he has a special design for us. Verse 5, yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Get this, he says, yet. (laughs) Verse 4, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him. Who are we? We're God's creation. There's our value. As God made the heavens and the earth, he also made man. And he made man a little lower than the heavenly beings. Now, as we look to the New Testament in Hebrews, as we will in a moment, we will see that the heavenly beings here do refer to angels. So he made us a little lower than the angels. And just so we can get caught up on our study of angels, when you're here on this earth, you're made lower than the angels. When you die, you do not become an angel. Okay? That may break your heart. You may want the wings. You may want to fly. You may think that that's what eternity is all about. Okay? It's much greater than that. No, no, no. You are above the angels at that point. But at this point, he has created you below the angels. What are the angels doing right now? They are praising God as they have been praising him. It's ongoing worship. It never stops. We worship and we get tired and we go home, right? I mean, just think if we were to sing, Behold our God... For an hour. And then two hours. And then people would start leaving. Let's just face it, some may leave after 30 minutes, right? But then we just kept going. Behold our God for 12 hours. And then it's Monday, and we're still singing Behold our God. Tuesday and Wednesday. And then you show up back next on Sunday, and, and we're still singing Behold our God. You say, wow, no, no, we we can't do that. No, you have a limit. Angels do not end their worship. They just worship nonstop. So when you stop worshiping, just know that God's continuing to be worshiped. There's always praise being lifted up to him. That's what they were created for. But we were created a little lower than them to be his people by his grace. He didn't have to make us. He wasn't forced to make us. He's not in debt to us that he had to make us. And we are the only beings with a soul. The only beings with a soul. Think about that. All of the created things do not have souls, but we have souls. Souls that can never die. But as man was created pure, man ruined this. He was no longer spotless without sin He did not have a pure standing before God. So then we ask the question, what man can get it right? Is there a man ever that can live perfectly before the Lord? We are in need for a man to get it right, to never sin and to fully please God. And that is Jesus Christ, the God-man. And so as we look at verse 5, we have a very special design that we are made lower than the heavenly beings as God's people, but rebelled and turned against him. And yet there was only one man who could come and get it right, and that's Jesus Christ. And all of those who put their faith and trust in Christ, and only Christ alone, will they have life. 
He came to restore that which is broken. So when we fast forward and we look to Hebrews chapter 2, we see Psalm 8 once again. In fact, many times you'll see Psalm 8 referred to in Scripture. This is one of them. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower, or a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus came into our role as as a man, the God-man, to taste death for us so that we as the church can taste life. And it's only through Jesus Christ. So as we've been made lower, he too became lower to become like us as the only good, perfect man to give his life for our sin, for sinful man, that we can have life and life abundantly. Which then leads to number three, God's specific design for man and creation. So if we have a special design, which has been tarnished due to sin, but then we look to Jesus, our Savior, we can live out this special design, but we also have a specific design for man and creation. Verses six through eight. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. So let's be clear here in verses 6 through 8. This is a picture of the creation in the beginning. God created man with a special design and a specific design. He gave him dominion. God gave man dominion. He didn't have to. He gives man dominion to rule under the authority of himself, under God. But as we see, human nature has deteriorated this role through time. And now we have a confusing order of what's going on. Everything is out of order in our world. Even though Christ has come and he's died and he's risen, our world is still out of order because Christ will return and put all things back in order So here's a question. What makes man different from sheep and oxen? What makes man different than his household pet? Whether it be a parrot or a gerbil. We were talking about gerbils. That was kind of the pet of the 80s, the 90s. I would like to know, does anybody in the room have a gerbil? Yes, that proves it. Oh, Jeff, awesome. Jeff, you carried on. That's awesome. Jeff, even your gerbil, what makes you different? And that gerbil is that God has made you over him. God has given you dominion. This has great value. Man was to rule, but he bucked the system. He went against it. Thank you, God, for putting me in control of all things here on earth that I can rule over them and lead and lead well, but no, I don't want it. And he doubted God. He exchanged the truth for 
a lie and things get out of order. For an example, if you were to go to, let's say, a circus and you were to see the lions come out and the tigers and you had your lion tamer and he's in the cage. Why is he in that cage? You know, he has the lion tamed. But then every now and then you see those videos pop up where this lion tamer who's been working with a lion for 10, 15 years, all of a sudden turns on him and mauls him right there. The poor kids with their cotton candy, right? I mean, just there in the moment. What happens? Why, are, why do moments like that take place? Because things are out of order. But not just in a silly illustration of a lion tamer, but in all areas of our lives, in our homes. It's out of order. We have to work to maintain order. In our jobs, we have to work to maintain order. In the church, we have to work to, make, or to maintain order. So how do we maintain order? How do we come in line? It is through God's Word, which is the blueprint for our lives. And He is designer. Only He is the designer. And He's only made it one way. And as God created the world, he also created an opportunity for us to have new life through his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. But you see, sin is foolishness. It separates man from holy God and sends man spiraling down towards death. And so, with that, God imposes a death penalty towards Adam and all those who come after. So then we ask this question. Is it wrong that God imposed the death penalty on us? Is it wrong? I mean, we struggle with that from state to state and how we carry out justice. But when we look to God, the supreme God, the sovereign God over all things, is He unjust to pronounce death upon us because of our sin? I see some of you shaking your heads now. I see some of you, your heads are just staying still. And maybe it's just going in your mind. And you're thinking, I don't know. But I guarantee you that within the local church, there are many who would say, yeah, there's something wrong with that. I've got a little problem with that. If we would be honest to admit it. Because here's where we would go. We would say, what about those poor people who live in a land where they don't hear the name of Jesus, how could God ever give them the death penalty? Here's how God can give them the death penalty, because they do not acknowledge Him as God. They do not acknowledge Christ. That's how He can give them the death penalty. It is a severe offense. You may wrestle with this, you may struggle with this, but God is not unjust in that. He alone is to be praised. So if you're praising anyone else or you're looking to the trees as Savior or the water as Savior, no, you're missing it. He created those things. Or you may say, no, I know we do bad things, but none of us deserve eternal damnation for all of eternity where it never stops, where it's always ongoing. Who does God think He is? He's Creator. He's Lord. He is majestic. But when we fail to realize that, we look back to Him and say, God, no, that's not fair. I didn't want to be made. You made me. Yeah, He made you because He's God. Who are you to answer back to God? 
We must be put in our place, church. We must be put in our place to realize who it is that we serve. And we say, mercy. He needs to give mercy. Do you realize that you did not deserve mercy? I do not deserve mercy. Not an inch of it, not a single bit of mercy do we deserve. But then we say, but he gave me mercy. Why doesn't he give this person mercy? He doesn't owe them mercy. We're wrong in our thinking. If God owes us anything, it is the death penalty. Because we reject him. It is only because of his mercy and his grace that our minds can change, that our hearts change, and that we confess that he is Lord. Do you realize that? You do not come to that position on your own. You do not just seek out to discover that and bump into God. Things are out of order. God doesn't owe us mercy. Thanks be to God that he provides mercy. This is what happens. Christ brings sinful man back to order. Which means that the church can be a model. So we set out talking about how we must have actions, right? Now we're getting to it. If we understand this to be true, and God has given us mercy, but we know that we deserve the death penalty, should this not be seen in the way that we live? Men, should it not be seen in the way that we treat our wives? And wives, should this not be seen in the way you treat your husbands? Kids, this should be seen in the way that you treat your parents and parents in the way you treat your children. It should be seen in the way when we walk into the office tomorrow morning and the way we treat our fellow employees, the way we speak to them, no matter what role we have, if we're on the lowest role or the top. It should be seen when you see an emergency situation happen, when all of a sudden there's a wreck and you you throw your shoes off and you run across the lawn to go offer assistance. That's actions that can reflect Christ. It's seen in your faithfulness and being a part of the local church. Understanding that when others may wane off, you continue to persevere and you encourage them. You say, come on. Why? Because you're looking to Christ. There's an order in your life. There's a strengthening in your life as you continue to rely upon Christ. And it ought to be reflected in your amazement of God. Maybe if you're going to the beach for vacation this summer or to the mountains, that you would take a moment just to reflect upon God's creation. And that you would just have to stop somebody and go, well, do you see these waves? Look at these waves. Maybe all of us would do that. If you go to the beach this summer, you do this. Do you see these waves? Somebody says, yeah, man, I see the waves. I saw the last one and the time before. and said, yeah, look at this wave coming in. Hold on. Wait for it. Here's another one. Here it comes. God does that. God told these waves, this is where you must stop. God created this. And they'll probably think you're crazy and loony. But then you say, hey, I love Jesus, and I just want to take the opportunity to point your eyes to the Creator. Church, that's not loony. That's not crazy. That's obedience. 
to obedience. Our lives must reflect this story of redemption. Number 21 of the children's catechism for boys and girls says, In what condition did God make Adam and Eve? He made them holy and happy. Why is man not holy and happy now? Well, as we begin to break down what has happened throughout time, as God's children, we reflect back to the beginning where there's the creation but the rebellion. And this is why man's not holy and happy in and of himself. But then we are to follow what happened after that, Christ coming to earth, bringing redemption so that we can pursue holiness and happiness. And that happiness being much deeper than what we consider the word happy in our culture, a joy. And then we look forward to Christ's return where we see restoration. This ought to be reflected in our actions each and every day. You're going to have conflicts with people. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have doubts. Some of you uh, who are in summer school right now talk to some students, and and you're going through summer school, and then it just mounts up the pressure. Am I going to pass this class? Am I going to get through this? Some of you are in marriage right now, and you're going, is my marriage going to make it? I mean, are we going to be able to make it through this trial that we're facing right now? Some of you are saying, will my child ever return back home? Will he ever come back? Or will she ever come back? Will they ever come to faith in Christ? We have some real struggles that we're facing, church. Within our lives, we must reflect creation, the rebellion, the redemption, the restoration full consummation where we are with God in eternity. And with this, there is a bookend as the Psalm 8 began, so it ends with verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If we reflect upon our Creator and all that He has provided for us and Jesus Christ coming to be like us, dying for us, rising from the grave to give us life, and now we look to Him and go, Behold our Creator, we can't help but say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Look into Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Today do you confess him, Jesus, as the Christ and Lord? When you look at creation, do you give God full credit for what he has made? And have you trusted in his son, Jesus Christ, in order to bring you holiness and happiness, a completeness that only Christ can give you so that when you go, you can proclaim it with your mouth and you can live out this goodness in your life. Do you have life in Jesus Christ today? If so, persevere. Take hold of this teaching today and magnify the Lord.
Sing praises to Him. Live for Him. Today, if you're here and you do not know Jesus, I encourage you now, look to Christ. He is the only way to the Father. Even where you're sitting, you can make the good confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. Follow Christ. Call upon the Lord. Save me of my sins. For we have sinned. We have offended Him. We deserve the death penalty, but God, may I have mercy. May I have mercy. Call upon Jesus now. Be saved where you are today. Be saved. Follow Christ. We'll be standing in the back, and we'll have some pastors up here. In just a moment, you can come talk with us. We would love to share with you more about following Jesus. Or you can take that form out right there at the bottom of your bulletin. You can check, I want to know more about following Christ. I want to be connected to a community group, or I want to go to Perimeter Basics. I just want to get involved. I want to hear more. I want to grow. Let us help in that. Let us encourage you. Let us challenge you. In just a moment, the offering plates will come by. And church, I challenge you, be good givers. If this is true, what we have talked about today, we should give to this. We should go forth with this message. As a local church, we should support this and go forth. Will you be faithful stewards today, church? And if you're here today and you're a guest and you want to give, you give if the Lord leads you to, but we would love to follow up with you. You drop that information in, let us follow up with you. But at this time, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll respond through singing, and we make ourselves available to talk with you if you would like to. Let us pray. Father, thank you that we are your children, those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you that we can be amazed at your creation. For all of those who are not amazed, Father, send us out this week and may we proclaim of your goodness and your mercy. Lord, may we live for you. May this be seen in our actions, our love and devotion to you. So may people see it in our lives. May they hear it from our mouths, Lord. God, I pray that you would begin to work on hearts, the people that we would meet this week and minister in your name. Father, I pray for the Christians in this room that they would be bold in their witness and they would not apologize for Jesus and the work that he has done and that we would go forth with this great joy and praise. Save many, Lord. Use us, your servants, your ambassadors. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.